I am Giuseppe. Hi, I'm Anthony, and this is For the Love of Sophia, a philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please follow us on Twitter. Enjoy the ride. speaking about perception and reality. Mm-hmm. I suppose we can start with this little sub-question about the distinction between appearance and reality. And this presupposes already that there are two different things, right? Right, right. Um, so when we talk about, about reality, I think that one of the, cons- the, the common views of reality is that well, reality is what surrounds us, right? Mm-hmm. What's there, regardless of what we think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, this this thing that's, that surrounds us is, um, is it exists independently from us. Mm-hmm. And it is there um, for us to perceive, right? right. For us to, to, to take notice of it, right? And this process of taking notice, it's considered to be our perception of things, which in turn can become the appearance that things have according to our perspective, maybe, right? Yeah, so I think this traditional view is that perception is something like the taking in of this thing that exists outside of us, even when we're not taking it in. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, though, if that means that... So already there are a couple of presuppositions in that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, one thing is that there's such thing as objects and things That's that true. exist outside our mind, which is not necessarily mm-hmm. obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very unpopular to say the opposite, uh, to say the least. And um, and the other assumption is that the take that we have on things, right, the way we we see things, uh, might be different, and therefore things might appear different. Yeah. To and then different individuals. The I guess more radical view that exactly what we see is exactly what there is. Yes. Right? In that case, appearance, is, there's no such thing as appearance, right? Appearance is reality, if yeah. you want. Um, which I don't know how, how, how do you feel about this, this thing. I think it's a little simplified. Okay. I know if we want to start with kind of the basic approach, there's Locke. Mm-hmm. And so Locke says that there's this thing called sense perception, and sense perception is you taking in affections of the world. And once you've taken them in, you have this kind of uh, box of tools in your head that you can make ideas with. Mm-hmm. And he says that when you perceive something, there's two different kinds of aspects in that object. There's the primary qualities, and then there's the secondary qualities. And for Locke, the primary qualities are the things that you see or you perceive, and those things really are in the object. Mm-hmm. If you suddenly disappeared, those things would remain. The size of the object, That's the right. shape of the object. Right? Spatial qualities, basically. Mm-hmm. And then conversely, he talks about these secondary qualities. And the secondary qualities are the things that you perceive them, but 
they're not really there in the outside world. So when you disappear, those things disappear as well. Things like taste, color, color yes, and all this kind of stuff. So we can say that from this perspective, the primary qualities using Locke's language are the objective one, the one they're mm -hmm. in their, their reality, right? Yeah. While the secondary qualities are this appearance, right? The mm -hmm. way things are for us specifically. I wonder though if there is, uh, if there's a way of understanding this. Um, so there's an obvious critique, right? Which is these two things that we separate mm -hmm. are not really separable, right? Yeah. We never see things that have shape but not taste. Right. Yes. Yeah. So there's what does Locke say? He says something like, "The secondary properties are dependent on the primary ones." Precisely, for something like you're saying, you can't imagine color not attached to a shape. But can you imagine a shape without color? Well, I think this is Barclay's criticism, mm -hmm. right? It, it is, and, and obviously, it's very difficult to imagine that that way, right? Mm -hmm. um, it is interesting, though, when we talk about this thing. Uh, this assumption that we have that things do exist outside our brain somehow, right? That's true. It is an assumption. Um, I think it's interesting to, because especially now with technology, we have the ability to see that things exist only within a system, right? Mm. Uh, things exist only within a computer, only within a phone, uh, with the possibility of CGIing everything. You can create an entire, think of a movie series or think of a, a TV show, right? Mm -hmm. There's that reality, if you want, that exists only in there and nowhere else, but we call it fictional because it exists only in that system. Right. And yet, it rarely occurs to us that maybe we are in a fictional world ourselves, right? It could be. Well, let's see. So he has some proofs for mm -hmm. why he thinks, Locke, mm -hmm. that things exist without us. Now, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but one of them is we all report the same thing. And so if all of us can agree on some basic quality, mm -hmm. maybe probably it's actually there and it's not a figment of our imagination. So majority, the majority <laughs> opinions yeah. is reality, right? Could be. Which is worrisome, right? We know mm -hmm. a phenomenon called mass hysteria where all people see the same things and that thing wasn't there. Yes. Uh, but also a more more commonly, uh, we know historically that we have agreed on things that everyone knew that the earth was flat. Right. It wasn't. And right? it wasn't. And we were all reporting the same thing. We all agreed and we all reported that the earth was still and the sun was revolving around it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't like that. So it is how reliable is the majority yeah, uh, the fact that people agree on that, that we all report the same thing. So I'm wondering if there's a defense here. Uh, if for reality, uh, for this particular proof, because what I'm thinking, you know, if I were to play devil's advocate, one mm -hmm. might say is those things you're saying are true, right? Those things are things we all believed that turned out to be wrong. But those are also judgments, mm. right? You're saying something about something. And what was wrong was that the particular something we chose was not the correct uh, predicate. So, yes, in other words, the earth was there. Yes. We all reporting that thing. Yes. Just the way it moved, or it, doesn't, it didn't move. So the, the quality attached to that right. was... Right. So maybe true. we are wrong about the status of this mirror, 
right? Mm. Or the color of it or how it moves. But there is a mirror underneath it, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely, very possible, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like the one that wants to deny the existence of reality because I very much believe that there is reality. Um, the problem, though, is I believe it. I don't know if we have proofs yeah. for that. Um, you could just extend your criticism to like, well, we all report that there is something. Hey, that could mm-hmm. be wrong too. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm also um, going back to the. the the common views of reality, right? I think that another mistake that usually we make is conflate together, putting together a reality and truth, right? Because mm. those two things are obviously different, yes. aren't they? Because people sometimes might have a, a hard time uh, distinguishing the, tru- the, the, the two of them, right? Yeah, because I think there's a common sense view which is based on that conflation, mm-hmm. which when you ask someone, oh, well, what is true, they'll say, what is real, what is actual. Exactly. Whereas if you were to take a step back and think about the concept in deeper terms, in logical terms, we say that truth isn't reality. Truth is in statements about reality. So truth is an absolute man-made... That's what Nietzsche says. Creation, not in the sense that it's there's no truth with a capital T necessarily, at least not here, but in the sense that it pertains our mm. statements about reality. Yes. Truth doesn't exist out there. Truth right. is the relationship that we have, the relationship between the things that we say. Yes. And those things that are out there. So. Yes. And so, if there was nothing said, there could be no truth, because truth is only in the said or the thought. Yeah. Right. So that that's that's interesting though, because that makes truth not a fact of the world if you want that's right it makes it a fact about our relationship with the world exactly it's not natural right yeah that's pretty interesting in 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 that sense um i also wonder with with this with the common view of reality there's also this this acceptance that reality is this brute fact right Mm -hmm. it's it's, it imposes on us almost right yes it is in there we cannot avoid it because we perceive it, right? It's there. It's 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 it's. Um, but the funny thing is, what aspects of this thing that we say imposes on us are? Can we know with certainty that they exist regardless of, mm. of our existence? Uh, <clears throat> I'm thinking of okay. Let's slice this thing that we call reality in different ways. Mm-hmm. Let's use the empiricist. Let's use Locke or whoever else is there. Um, they say that the way in which we access this is through our senses, right? Mm-hmm. So start slicing this reality in different ways. So start thinking, okay, there is a visual reality that exists, right? I think we can agree on that. Yes, we see this stuff. Exactly. There is a, 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 real, a gustatory reality, right? Mm-hmm. Just the way things taste. Uh, there is, an, how can we call it? audible reality, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? It's the way we, we hear things, the way we touch things. Those things, we can be separated. Mm-hmm. And of course, the totality of all those things is, makes reality with the, with the capital yes. R, so yes. to speak. This is two issues, in my opinion, when we think of reality this way. Issue number one is we're limiting reality to the things that we can see and touch, quote-unquote, right? Uh, which is that all there is? Mm. I don't know. Um, with all the enhancement that we can think of, so oh, things that we see 
Uh, with the microscope, are still things that we see. Um, I'm not talking about things that you can see with the naked eye. I'm talking about the fact that the sense of sight or, mm-hmm. or gives you access to this. Um, so we're limiting this to this material world somewhat, right? Uh, and the other issue that I have is that then reality is dependent on our means to access it. In other words, if there's somebody who's deaf from birth mm-hmm. and has never heard a sound, does that mean that the audible reality is not there? Does it, it doesn't exist for mm. this person. That is a good question. At the same time, if somebody's born blind, doesn't mean that the visual reality doesn't exist. And I know we can say, well, but all the other people see this, right? Mm-hmm. But that brings up the point, what if we are blind in another sense? And there's yeah. a whole dimension that's not there. Which is very possible, right? Because you look at something like the sense of smell that's relatively new, mm-hmm. the more frontal part of your brain. There was some form of life, proto-human, that must have not had that part of the brain, and so they didn't have smell. Mm-hmm. And so they had all the other senses, but you want to ask, well, does that mean smell wasn't part of reality? Or does it mean that it was and we just weren't able to te- detect it? And I'm reminded of uh, another one of Locke's proofs. He says, the fact that we can have this conversation, the fact that we say, if you're lacking in a specific sense organ and you can't have access to that quality, seems to show in some way that reality is more than your sense organ. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, though, it's more... But it, it might also be the, the reverse issue, right? It could be. We might be... Um, cutting reality in mm. in a way that should not be cut, right? Because our sense organs made us make this distinction, right? So, for example, taste and smell, we consider them two different things, mm. but are they really two different things in reality, right? The way we make the cut about stuff, um, again, um, think, of a, think of the way we consider when we enter in a room, right? Mm-hmm. We enter in, in, if you enter in a dining room and all of a sudden I ask you to describe me the room, um, the way you would probably describe the room is similar to the way I would because we come from the same culture if you want, right? So we look at the reality of the room and we say there are four walls, um, there's a roof, um, there is a table, there's five chairs, there's six chairs, um, there's a carpet, all those things. Mm -hmm. Because our way of understanding this um, actually makes us cut reality in this way. So let's think now of a population. Let's imagine that there exists a population where you get in there and, for example, the carpet or the table and chairs mm-hmm. are not separable mm-hmm. from the room itself, right? But you go in there and you don't mention these things the same way you don't mention, I don't, well, I don't know, the, the air that is inside the room, right? The area of the room. Because we just take it as a given. As a given, right? So, and you don't separate, you don't say, you don't get in the room and say, oh, so there is a table, there's chairs, but you say, well, there is four walls. Uh, the same way I didn't mention, you know, the ground, or mm-hmm. whatever, the, the wood floor. The same way I didn't mention the wooden floor, because that's basic, that has to be within mm-hmm. the room, right? If without that there's no room, I would say, oh, so there are four walls, 
a carpet, and that's it. Because, again, the table and chairs are part of the room. Mm -hmm. The way we're cutting it, it changes the reality of things. So all of a sudden, the table doesn't exist. It's not part of reality. That's the room, right? So it, it, it comes down to how we're defining the objects and the spaces. Because it seems like our description typically would involve things that aren't just in the definition, mm -hmm. right? So which is why you say there's a room, and in this room there are tables, chairs. But if table and carpet are part of room, you no longer need to include that in your exactly. description. So, and I'm wondering if that means that kind of the opposite of the very simple thing that we said before, this, this idea that appearance and reality are the same thing in the sense that mm -hmm. everything appears to us the same way is not the opposite. Appearance is reality, meaning that it depends on the way things appear to us, the way we are. Mm -hmm. We learn now to divide and mm -hmm. separate reality things will be that way, right? Some form of relativism, if you want. It could be. Um, even though I think it's a little bit more nuanced than regular relativism mm -hmm. we're describing. And what if, on a more extreme case, what if appearance was all there was there? It could be, right? This is what Barclay says, mm -hmm. right? He says that if you look at the definition or understanding of any object, mm -hmm. it's merely a collection of the sensory properties that compose the object. So you take something like apple. You say, what is an apple? You say, mm -hmm. well, it's red or green or yellow, and it's shiny, and smooth, mm -hmm. sweet, Mm -hmm. uh, has a nice crunch when you bite into it. But all of those qualities are only there when we're perceiving the thing. So in some sense, the existence of the apple is dependent on our perceiving the apple. And so if we were to disappear, there would be no reality because hmm. we're kind of defining reality by these uh, perceptual qualities or the appearance. That means also that there's nothing beyond those perceptions, right? That what That's we right. perceive, it's all that exists. Yes. And I, I, I was noticing something. You've been doing this and I've been doing this the entire uh, episode here. When we talk about reality, we have the tendency of talking about things. Mm -hmm. It's like we exclude other beings from this. Mm. It almost it is almost obvious that we exist, right? <laughs> we are real, and the things that's in discussion is those objects that are outside. Mm. But I wonder, though, if we talk about this idea that what I see is what I get, right? The reality is, at the end of the day, nothing but appearance, and we apply this to people, right? Because people are part of the world, that's right? True. People are part of reality. What would that mean? Mm. It would mean that there is this flat individual, that there is... What are this? What are people at the end of the day? Again, let's take seriously for a moment that all there is is appearance. Mm -hmm. And again, for a cherry or for a an apple, it means that well, there's nothing but the taste of it, the texture of it, the the, the color of it. And even though it might be problematic, I think that some of us might be fascinated by this idea, right? And mm -hmm. start thinking, oh, that's fine. What are we saying at the end of the day? Is that those characteristics is what compose this object. And there's nothing, there's no substance, right, to use, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To use a fancy philosophical word. Um, but then let's transfer this to people. What does that mean? Well, I mean, if you treated people the same as you treated objects in this view, then people too 
are only sensory collections of sensory qualities and they cease to exist when one is not perceiving them, mm. I suppose. But it's troubling because we assume that people have consciousness, mm-hmm. whereas objects don't. So we say, oh, those are objects and we're subjects. Hmm. So how do we treat does the they subject? Make, I don't know. Does that make us different from the, from the objects? Qualitatively different? It seems like there's something there that isn't there in the objects. Or at least we assume isn't there in the objects. But does that mean, for example, um, let's assume that there is this difference between mm-hmm. subject and object, right? But if we want to apply kind of the same rules that we apply to the object, at least to a, on a superficial level, if you want, mm-hmm. uh, that we apply to the subject, should I say, for example, that who you are, right, the real you, is just the one that I can access through my senses, so to speak, mm. right? That the things that you say make you who you are. Right. That the thing, the way you act, make do does make you who you are. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing else. There's no interior life, so to speak. Right. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to hurt you, right. but I did hurt you in the process. So those intentions do they go away? Because that's relevant, right? This, if we make this difference between appearance and reality and we say all there is is appearance, for example, all there mm-hmm. is is what we perceive, what we see from the perspective of, you know, the behavior of people, what they do, the interaction between people, then we need to take a face value of everything that we see, so to speak. That's true. And perceive. so you're nothing other than your acts or your behavior. Or your words, about, right? Yeah. And we talked about behaviorism the other day. And the implications of that it seems like that would maybe result in a devaluing of the person. Why do you think so, though? Well, because it reduces people to the same level of objects. And if I could break a basketball and not feel bad about it, well, I could break you and not feel bad about it, right? Um, true, but I'm. But do we have... And again, I don't necessarily believe this, but if we take this seriously again, is there anything else that makes me access who you are rather than that mm. rather than what you do mm. so if you if you let's say I make this example very often let's say that you are a bad person that keeps on doing bad things yes constantly yes constantly and then I ask you well, well you're a bad person you're like no but I don't mean to do these things yes. I do these things from a I'm coming from the right place you know I'm not I don't want to do this yeah I just I just do them but I am a very good person, right? I think we have had this conversation <laughs> yeah. before. Or like, I think, you know, I'm an environmentalist, but I litter all the time. All the time. But I am an environmentalist. Right, right. I, <laughs> I love nature and I all these things. All, I am a vegan. But I, I am. Meat. But yeah. I eat meat all the time. <laughs> is that what it is? Is that, I mean, would we take this thing seriously or would we say to these people, oh, listen, you obviously are not... Yeah, we would say it was silly. Right? Yeah. Because we we would say either that you don't understand what vegan means, right? Or what uh, environmentalist means. Mm-hmm. Um, or we would say that, well, we need to base our judgments on what we see, right? Mm. On the appearance that you give us. Yeah, and I'm thinking of ways to answer this. I guess one way would be to say, well, things like vegan and good person and environmentalist necessarily involve actions mm-hmm. right so if you're not meeting the act criteria you can't call yourself that maybe a way around this is 
Um, I'm thinking kind of an Aristotelian approach where he says the acts are important, but so are the thoughts, right? Because he says your character is mm. um, the summation of how you act over a period of time, maybe even your lifetime. But virtues of character also require virtues of thought. So you have to have the correct thinking patterns, and those have to line up with your actions, and that's where the, the categories of, of how we judge someone come from, I suppose. But don't we... The, the actions... So the thoughts are the one that kind of lead you to act correctly, right? Perhaps. They're kind of the, the things that you need to do first. You need to train yourself to think in a way so you can act in that way, yes. right? But at the end of the day... How do we know if you're thinking correctly? Do we know through the actions still? Right, I suppose we don't know, but we still assume it's reasonable to say that there are differences in thought. So if we take someone, let's say you saw an old woman and she was struggling crossing the street. And so you thought, you know, I feel bad, I feel empathy, I wouldn't want this to happen to me, I care about this person, let me help her across the street. And then along comes some other person who also decides to help the old woman across the street but in their minds they're doing it because hey I want other people to look at me and mm -hmm. think that I'm good I want to be in the newspaper right? Mm -hmm. I want to get these, this social capital these points from the outside it looks like you guys are doing the same thing and I think that's why thought becomes imperative to the judgment of reality because we say, hey, you two are exactly the same if actions are all that there is. But the difference comes in when we consider your motivation or your thinking and the interior life. But I'm wondering if we have a way to access this. If you want, in philosophical terms, if we have access to the private world of other people, right? Because yeah. And we don't. And if we don't, then how do we right. make the difference? We assume, we, we take your reports of your states as accurate or if we know you quote unquote know you right this means we have a level of familiarity with you which means we have seen what you have done or said right yes. still public things yes. so we <clears throat> the only judgment that we can have about the private life of somebody right comes through their public life that's true we cannot access the private life of another although we assume it's there, based on the things they said and done in the public, yes. And the, so it's still through a... It's funny because in the case of reality at large, what we're saying, and in the case of the reality of who people really are, right, mm -hmm. we seem to be bound by the way things appear. Mm. So appearance seems to be the only way in which we can access this reality, mm -hmm. if there is any... It, <clears throat> And if there is any, well, the question is then, how can I know if there is a difference between the two, if there is a gap between mm. the two? Because if the only way in which you can, I can access reality is yeah. through appearance, through the way things appear to me, not necessarily as an individual, but maybe as a species, whatever you want, right? Mm -hmm. How will I be ever able to notice if there mm. is a gap between the two? And how can... How can we make that uh, the difference? Uh -huh. So we, I guess we could talk about that in a future episode. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.